Chapter Four of the Range Dwellers by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Through King's Highway. It was a long time before I was in a position to gratify my curiosity, though. Between the sun and air, with nothing to do but amuse himself, and a cowboy working for his daily wage, there's a great gulf fixed. After being put on the payroll, I couldn't do just as my fancy prompted. I had to get up at an ungodly hour, and eat breakfast in about two minutes, and saddle a horse and ride circle with the rest of them, which same is exceedingly wearisome to man and beast. For the first time since I left school, I was under orders, and the foreman certainly tried to obey Dad's mandate, and treat me just as he would have treated any other stranger. I could give it up, of course, but I hope never to see the day when I can be justly called a quitter. First, we were rounding up horses, saddlers that were to be ridden in the roundup proper. We were not more than two or three weeks at that, though we covered a good deal of country. Before it was over, I knew a lot more than when we started out, and had got hard as nails. Riding on roundup beats a gem for putting wire muscles under a man's skin, in my opinion. We worked all around White Divide, which was turning a pale, dainty green, except where the sandstone cliffs stood up in all the shades of yellow and red. Montana, as viewed on horse roundup, looks better than in the first bleak days of March, and I could gaze upon it without profanity. I even got to like tearing over the newborn grass on a good horse, with a cowboy or two galloping, keen-faced and calm, beside me. It was almost better than slithering along a hard road with a motor car stripped to the running gear. When the real thing happened, the calf roundup, and thirty riders in white felt hats, chaps, spurs a-jingle, and handkerchief ends flying out in the wind, lined up of a morning for orders, the blood of me went a-jump, and my nerves were all tingly with the pure joy of being alive and atop a horse as eager as hounds in the leash and with the wind of the plains in my face, and the grassland lying all around, yelling, Come on! and the meadowlarks singing fit to split their throats. There's nothing like it, and I've tried nearly everything in the way of blood tinglers. Skimming through the waves, a lean to the wind in a racing yacht comes nearest, and even that takes second money when circle riding on roundup is entered in the race. But this is getting away from my story. We were working the country just north of White Divide when the foreman started me home with a message for Perry Potter, and I was to get back as soon as possible with the answer. Now, here's where I got gay. As I said, we were north of White Divide, and the home ranch was south, and to go around either end of that string of hills meant an extra sixty miles to cover each way, a hundred and twenty for the round trip. Directly in the way of the proverbial crow's flight lay King's Highway, which, if I got through, would put me at the ranch the first day and back at camp the second. And I rather guess that would surprise our worthy foreman not a little. I didn't see why it couldn't be done. Surely old King wouldn't murder a man just for riding through that pass. That would be bloody-minded indeed. And if I failed, why... I could go around, and no one would be wise to the fact that I had tried it. I headed straight for the pass, which yawned invitingly, with two bare peaks for the jaws, 
not over six miles away. It was against orders, for Perry Potter had given the boys to understand that they were not to go that way, and that they were to leave King and his stronghold strictly alone. But I didn't worry about that. When I was fairly in the mouth of the pass, I got down and looked at the cinch, and then rode boldly forward, like a soldier riding up to the cannon's mouth with a smile on his face. Oh, I wasted plenty of admiration on one Ellis Carleton about that time, and rehearsed the bold, biting speech I meant to deliver to old King's very door. So far it was easy sailing. There was a hard-beaten road, and the hills seemed standing back and holding aside their skirts for a free passing. The sun lay warm on their green slopes, and one could fairly smell the grass growing. In the hollows were worlds of blue flowers, with patches here and there a royal purple. I stopped and gathered a handful and stuck them in my buttonhole and under my hatband. I don't know when I have felt so thoroughly satisfied with said Ellis Carleton, of whom I am over-fond of speaking. I even mimicked the meadowlarks until they watched me with heads tilted, not knowing what to make of such an impertinent fellow. King's Highway was glorious. I didn't wonder that Dad thought it worth fighting over, and as I went on, farther and further down this lane made by nature for easy passing, I could see what an immense advantage it would be to take herds through that way. I could see why the Bay State men cursed King when they took the rough trail around the end of White Divide. After an hour of undisputed riding on this forbidden trail, the pass narrowed rather abruptly till it was not more than a furlong in width. The hills stretched their heads still higher, as if they wanted to see the fun, and the shadow of the eastern rim laid clear across the narrow valley and touched the foot of the opposite slope. I hope I'm not going to be called nervous if I tell the truth about things. When I rode into the shadow, I stopped whistling a bad imitation of meadowlark notes. A bit further and I pulled up, looked all around, and got off and tightened the cinch a bit more. Shylock, I always rode him when I could, threw his head around and nearly took a chunk out of my arm. And in reproving him, I forgot, for a minute, the ticklish game I was playing. Then I loosened my gun. I had learned to carry it inconspicuously under my coat, as did the other boys, made sure it could be pulled without embarrassing delay, and went on. Around the next turn, a five-wire fence stretched across the trail, with a gate fastened by a chain and padlock. I whistled under my breath and eyed the lock with extreme disfavor. But I had learned a trick of the cowboys. I pulled the wire off a couple of posts at one side of the gate, laid them flat on the ground, and led Shylock over them. Then I found a rock, pounded the staples back in place, and went on. Only for the tracks, one could not notice that any had passed that way. Still, it was a bit ticklish, riding down King's Highway alone and with no idea what lay further on. But Dad had dared go that way, and to fight at the far end. And what Dad had not been afraid to tackle, it did not behoove his son to back down from. I made Shylock walk the next half mile, with some notion of saving his wind for an emergency run. Of a sudden, I rounded a sharp nose of the hill and came plump on the palace of the king. 
It looked a good deal like the Bay State Ranch, big corrals and sheds and stables, and a little place for a man to dwell. The house, though, was bigger than ours and looked more comfortable to live in. And the thing that struck me most was the head which King displayed for strategy. The trail wound between those same sheds and corrals, a gauntlet two hundred yards long, that one must run or turn back. On either side, the bluffs rose sheer, with the buildings crowding close against their base. I didn't wonder Frosty called King's Highway bad medicine. It certainly did look like it. I went softly along that trail, turning sharp corners around a shed here, circling a corral there, with my hand within an inch of my gun, and my heart within an inch of my teeth. And you may laugh all you like. No one seemed to be about. The sheds were deserted, and a few horses dozed in a corral that I passed, but human being I saw none. It was evident that King did not consider his enemy worth watching. I passed the last shed and found myself headed straight for the house. I had still to get through his very dooryard before I was in any position to crow, and beyond the house was another fence. I hoped the gate was not locked. Shylock pricked up his ears, then laid them back along his neck as if he did not approve the layout either. But we ambled right along, like a deacon headed for prayer meeting, and I tried to look in four different directions at one and the same time. For that reason, I didn't see her till she stood right in front of me. And when I did, I stared like an idiot. It was a girl, and she was coming down a path to the trail, with her hands full of flowers, for all the world like a duchess novel. Another minute, and I'd have run over her, I guess. She stopped and looked at me from under lashes so thick and heavy, they seemed almost pulling her lids shut. And there was something in her eyes that made me go hot and cold, like I was coming down with grip. When she spoke, my symptoms grew worse. Did you wish to see father? She asked, as if she were telling me to leave the place. I believe, I rallied enough to answer, that father would give a good deal to see me. Then that seemed to shut off our conversation too abruptly to suit me. There are occasions when prickly chills have a horrible fascination for a fellow. This was one of the times. He's not at home, I'm sorry to say. She returned in the same liquid-air voice as before, and turned to go back to the house. I thanked the Lord for that, in a whisper, and kept pace with her. It was plain she hated the sight of me, but I counted on her being enough like her dad not to run away. "'May I trouble you for a drink of water?' I asked in the orthodox tone of humility. "'There is no need to trouble me. There is the creek beyond the house.' You're welcome to all you want. Thanks. I watched the pink curve of her cheek, and knew she was dying for a chance to snub me still more maliciously. We were at the steps of the veranda now, but she would not hurry. She seemed to hate even the semblance of running away. Can you direct me to the Bay State Ranch? I hazarded. It was my last card, and I let it go with a sigh. She pointed a slim, scornful finger at the brand on Shylock's shoulder. If you are in doubt of the way, Mr. Carleton, your horse will take you home, if you give him his head. That put a crimp in me, worse than the look of her eyes, even. I stared at her a minute, 
and then laughed right out. The game's yours, Miss King, and I take off my hat to you for hitting straight and hard, I said. Must the feud descend even to the second generation? Is it a fight to the finish, and no quarter asked or given? I had her going then. She blushed, and when I saw the red creep into her cheeks, my heart was hardened to repentance. I'd have done it again for the pleasure of seeing her that way. You are taking a good deal for granted, sir, she said in her loftiest tone. We kings scarcely consider the Carltons worthy our weapons. You don't, eh? Then why did you begin it? I wanted to know. If you permit me, you started the row before I spoke even. I do not permit you. Clearly my lady could be haughty enough to satisfy the most fastidious. Well, I sighed, I will go my way. I am a lover of peace myself. But since you proclaim war, war it must be. I am not so ungallant as to oppose a lady's wishes. Is that gate down there locked? Figuratively, it's always locked against the Carltons, she said. But I want to go through it literally, I retorted, and she just looked at me from under those lashes and never answered. Well, the air grows chill in King's Highway, I shivered mockingly. If ever I find you on Bay State soil, Miss King, I shall take much pleasure in teaching you the proper way to treat an enemy. I shall be greatly diverted, no doubt, was the scornful reply of her. And just then an old lady came to the door and I lifted my hand grandly in a precise military salute, and rode away, wondering which of us had the best of it. The gate wasn't locked, and as for taking a drink at the creek, I forgot that I was thirsty. I jogged along toward home, and wondered why Frosty had not told me that King had a daughter. Also I wondered at her animosity. It never occurred to me that her father, unlike my dad, I probably harped on the Carltons until she had come to think we were in league with the old boy himself. Her dad's game leg would no doubt argue strongly against us, and keep the feud green in her heart, supposing she had one. On the whole, I was glad I had traveled King's Highway. I had discovered a brand new enemy, and so far in my life, enemies had been so scarce as to be positive diversion and it was novel and interesting to be so thoroughly hated by a girl. No reason to dodge her net. I rather congratulated myself on knowing one girl who positively refused to smile on demand. She hadn't, once. I got to wondering that night if she had dimples. I meant to find out. End of chapter 4 Recording by Tom Penn